The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. When we started last year, we went through the gospel. Well, we, we went through Galatians because we wanted to make sure people understood the gospel. There is no other gospel. This is the good news. And so we went through that for 12 weeks. Then we went to the book of Titus and we wanted to make sure under, people understood what is a healthy church? What does it take to be a healthy church? Healthy as in like they love Jesus, they love one another, they hate sin, but they love sinners, right? What does it mean to be a healthy church on mission with, with King Jesus, right? Uh, then this summer, we, we went through Ecclesiastes, uh, which was a blast, by the way. Um, some people are like, this is pretty trippy. I'm not understanding it all. I'm like, I'm not either, but let's pray that the Lord will help us, right? And so it was great to go through that book, but it was pretty nuanced in a lot of ways. But now we're going to go through the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be here a while. Uh, I think it's going to be 15 to 17 months. I think that's what it's going to take, right? Um, it could take a little more. Maybe a little less, probably not, um, probably not. But why, why are we going through the Gospel of Luke? That's a really good question. It really is. Um, we love going through books of the Bible at For the City Church. We don't like to do topical sermons. Why? Because we want you to know the Word of God. The Word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It, God discerns the thoughts and intentions. When we read the Word of God, the Word of God reads us. You get that? Like, it comes in, it pierces, and it transforms us. The gospel not only saves us, but it makes us to be more like Christ. We don't enter the good news of Jesus, and this is how we get saved, this gospel, and then move on to bigger and better things. There's nothing bigger and better than Jesus came to live the perfect life you couldn't live, to die the death you deserve to die, and to resurrect from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death, so that you might have life with God. That's the big point of every book of the Bible. But we need to know the Word of God. So that's why we're going through the book of Luke. But let's let Luke answer the question. Let, let's let him answer the question. Holly did a great job of reading the text. I'm not going to read 1 through 4 again. But look at the last part of 4. See where it says Theopolis? Say that word. It's fun to say. Theopolis. Yeah, good job. Some of you said that better than I said that because you're better and you got hooked on phonics. But there's a comma. And you see where it says that you might or may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. This is why we're reading and going through the gospel of Luke. Because what Luke said. So that you might have certainty, the things you've been taught. Theophilus has, he might be a skeptic, I doubt it. Chances are really good. He, he's a believer, but he's, he's probably so born again, he's wet, right? Like he's just a baby. And, and he's like, can I even trust these things? Can I believe these things? And Luke's like, that's a great question. I'm going to go get an orderly account for you so that you can have certainty, certainty, that you can trust the things that you've been taught so that you might grow up into this faith. So why are we reading it? Point one, look, it says right there in your map, Luke's gospel was written so that we may know the truth about Jesus and be transformed. And be transformed. You're going to see why I added that little piece, right? Um, so listen, we don't know much about this most excellent Theophilus. Uh, chances are good that he's a Roman official. If not, he's definitely a high official, right? This guy's an important dude, right? Like the most excellent, right? Like whatever your name is, most people aren't running around saying the most excellent Alexis. Like you would like that. They should. She said you should. Some of you might now. Um, and I probably will because it'll be funny. 
But most people don't do that. But this, this man needed further instruction. He, he needed to be strengthened in his faith. He was skeptical of the things that, that were being taught. And chances are, if he's a high official and he's about to make the decision, or let's say to, to embrace the truth to follow Jesus Christ, this is a game changer for this man's life. He wants to be sure that it's true and he's not following a fairy tale, right? Bless you and bless the rest of you. Let's keep moving. So, so Luke sets out to write an orderly account for him and essentially for us and all who will ever follow Jesus. So, so this is so that we might have certainty about the good news of Jesus. You and I need certainty about the good news of Christ. So I hope that that's a great encouragement for you to read, to study, to engage in the book of Luke, not just on Sunday morning. But to really engage, right? If you, if you don't have a good study Bible, get a good study Bible. My favorite's the ESV, right? Study Bible. Um, we're not an ESV-only church, right? Like there's, I don't think those exist. But they're King James only, and they're wackos. Um, King James only churches, not King James people, right? But that's crazy. That's cultish thinking. The Word of God is, is, has been translated so that we might understand it in different translations. I love the NASB. I love the ESV. And you may like different translations. That's fine. Whatever translation you like, get a good study Bible and engage in the book of Luke. Do it by yourself. Do it with a friend. And do it in a missional community group. Because you can't just assume that I'm going to come to a church service on Sunday morning and this is where Miracle Grow happens. If that's the only place you're engaging the Word of God, you'll probably be, and I mean this kindly, an immature Christian much of your life. I don't mean that to be rude. I'm just saying we, we have to engage God throughout the week in different ways to learn and to grow. So that's my encouragement to you. Um, but Because we need reassured. See, the, the beauty is this message will not only save your soul, but it will transform your life. Right? You can't get them backwards, though. You can't say, I'm going to read the Bible and be transformed. No, you come to faith by grace alone. That's it. it how does that work? You hear the message of the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And when you hear that word, hopefully you believe that word. You trust it. You might have tons of questions. You probably will. But I know that that's, that message is true. Jesus died for sinners. I'm a sinner. I need him. I need forgiveness of sins. At that moment, you're born again and you're his, okay? So in the biggest way, you have been transformed. You have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You went from dead to alive. It doesn't get greater than that. But now that you're alive in Christ, you're born again. You're a baby in Christ. You need to grow. You need to grow up into being more like Christ, less like yourself. You do that through the word of God, by the spirit of God, okay? And so... I really want you to engage this word of God. If you do, I promise you will not remain the same at the end of 15 months. I, I, just, I, I guarantee it. Why? Because the word of God is true. And the word of God promises that. Okay? So that's my exhortation for you to engage the word of God. Just a quick word for any friends who were like me when I was in church, not saved. Um, I used to hear, you know, the Bible is, you know, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> who wants to read an instruction manual? If you've said that, please quit. Um, and I mean that kindly. No, this is God's redemptive love story to a people who don't deserve love. 
It's how he shows his great love for people who are far from him. Man, that makes me want to read. I want to know about this God. I want to know about his love to send his son to die for people who are not lovable, but to make them lovable so that we can have life with him, right? I want to know that God. If you want to know that God, read the Bible because the gospel is unlike any self-help manual, unlike anything, right? It's a story of divine rescue mission. Jesus in Luke 19, 10 says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That's why I came. And, and, and well, so what's the main point? How he did that through his life, his death, and his resurrection. So, so study it, right? All right. Ready to dive into Luke? All right, good. Turn to Malachi 4. <laughs> or listen to me as I read it. Malachi 4, verse 5 and 6. I want you to listen to the promise and the warning that closes out the Old Testament or what would be known as the Jews' Bible, right? They didn't have an Old Testament because they didn't have a New Testament. It was just their Bible. And so listen to what it says. Malachi 4, verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of their children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's what closes out their Bible. By the way, it had been 400 years of silence since any prophet had said anything or any, really, history would show that anything that God was, now he was active in those 400 years, but, but the people of God had endured a long silence, 400 years. Just imagine that, right? 400 years of silence and deep darkness since that prophecy was proclaimed, right? Um, during that time, right, uh, so far as we know, God didn't speak through prophets and no scripture was written. However, God would not remain silent long. Um, the long season of silence and spiritual darkness was about to give way to really a, a spectacular sunrise of hope. Right? That's really what we're about to read this morning. Right? The same God who made promises and acted in all those surprising ways throughout their history, throughout Israel's history, was about to show up and act in a very surprising way to fulfill the promises that had been made in their Bible right? um, through his son Jesus. Okay? So what's the, what's the big point of, let's say, verses 5 through 25? Ready? It's point two. God's timing is perfect. And he always keeps his promises. We say that a lot. But many times, I don't think we really believe it. It's just like a mantra, right? It's just a little cliche thing we say. Because if we believe that, if I believe that, and when I say we, I don't mean like you, loser. I'm saying me. If I believe that in the heart of my heart, my anxiety and desire to control certain situations wouldn't be the way it is right? If I, so there's unbelief in my heart in these moments. I say I believe it, and I think I do believe it, but, oh, Lord, help my unbelief, right? His timing is perfect. He always keeps his promises, which is why we got to know the promises of God. And by the way, just to answer a question you may be asking, you know, when we read the Old Testament, we have to understand some of these promises are written for specific people at a specific time and all these different things. But can I just tell you, according to the gospel, let's say, let's say 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God are found, yes, in Christ. Which means 
All promises made for God's people, you get to claim, in a sense, don't take that too far, not like health, wealth, prosperity, but in a sense, latch on that he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me, I can run into him and I can find shelter in my time of need. In, in time, he will return all that the locusts have ate. I feel like I'm in a season where they're just devouring my life, but there will be a day that would be true. And I can, I, can, I can read that and I can just anchor my heart and my soul to that which is true. Why? Because I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. Therefore, it's yes and amen for me. And if you're in Christ, for you. So we need to know his promises, right? So let's look. Verses 5 through 7. Now we're back in Luke chapter 1. And we're just, we're just going to work our way through this narrative now, okay? Um, it would be really helpful if you could use your imagination, not shove stuff into the text, but try to imagine, man, if you were to make a Netflix series on this account, what would it look like? What would it look like? What would the scene be like, right? Try to imagine that because that's what you do with narrative, but, but this is history too. It's truth, right? So in the days of Herod, king of Judea, I'm not going to say much about him, horrible man. There will be more said about him in a few sermons. Um, but this is the guy who killed all the innocents. And if you're like, I don't know what that story is about. Well, keep sticking around with us. You'll hear it eventually. But just to make sure they could snuff out Jesus, if you were two, and young, two years and younger, right, and you were in a particular area, he sent a decree to kill them all. Okay? And he missed Jesus. Thank God. Um, there was a priest. So we got another guy here. A priest named Zechariah of the division of, how do you say that again, Holly? Abijah, I like it. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now look at this. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statues of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. All right, so Luke introduces us to an older couple. Now I don't know what you think of when you hear older couple, right? Like 90? No, they're probably mid-40s. You're like, that's old. Some of you, I know, are thinking that's old because you're young. This is a young church for the most part. And, but, but, you know, they're pretty advanced. For that time, that's pretty advanced in years, especially for, for babies, right? And, and here's the thing. Zechariah was a small-town priest. That's a big deal, but he's just a small-town guy. By the way, Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers, Right? These are big deals in, in Hebrew culture, right? Uh, and his beautiful bride, Elizabeth, she's barren, right? But we also notice they're a godly couple. They're a godly couple, right? This couple had taken the call of Ecclesiastes serious. They obviously feared God and they kept his commandment. Therefore, they are, a, let's say, a righteous couple. By the way, this does not mean that they were sinless, we hear righteous, depending on, on your background, how you understand that, and we think the righteousness of Christ. No, they weren't sinless. They needed a Savior, but their lives were marked by following God's law. They took his law serious. They sought to obey it, and when they didn't, they confessed, they made sacrifices, and they trusted God there. But notice, they're barren. She's barren. The bar by the way, the barrenness of this godly couple would be a constant state of grief, a constant state of grief in their life. Infertility in any culture and time is a source of sorrow. My wife and I endured it for three plus years until the Lord gave us Sarah Louise. But, but by the way, the stress and the burden for, for women in an ancient Hebrew culture would be almost unbearable. 
almost unbearable because it was considered such a disgrace. And worse yet, many times people would say you're being punished by God, right? And, and, and think about it. You didn't have hospice, right? So who cared for you as you got older? Your children, okay? So here's this godly couple doing all the things right that they can do and nothing, and, and no doubt they, they met much scorn in their life from people who thought they knew, right? Who thought they understood their lives, probably said, you know, I wonder which one has sin. Maybe both of them have sin. Maybe they're being punished for their mom and dad's sin. Who knows why, but obviously God's punishing them, right? That, that's their situation. And so their situation wasn't just some private misfortune, but really it's a picture of Israel. It really is. Now, don't, don't push that too far, but, but Israel is full of disgrace. They were spiritually barren at the time, and they were seemingly without hope for the future. And that's a picture of this, this couple. So it seems like the perfect time for, let's say, a but God moment, right? God loves to show up when all the chips are down. I hear people talking right now, it's so dark. I would never have kids in this time. And if you have kids, I can't imagine raising them in this time, blah, 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 blah. There's always been bad times throughout history, ever since the fall and the thud in the garden. But can I just tell you, like, it's a great time to be alive. Why? Because God's on the throne, and he's always good, and he's always doing good things to bring glory to his name. So you don't need to fear. You don't need to fear. You can entrust yourself to the God who understands all things and expect that the darker it gets, the more he wants to shine light. Because that's how you get rid of darkness, right? Uh, a phrase I love is, and, and I, it's not mine. I don't even know where I heard it. But you just keep kicking at the darkness till it bleeds light. And, and that's, that's, boy, that's, a, that's the heart of a church planter. Why would you go and move your family to a city to plant a church during the peak of COVID? Right? Like, why would you do that? That seems insane. People don't even want to gather, and you're moving there and telling them to come meet you, and they don't even know you. They don't even want to hang out with people they know. Why? Because God's always at work. And I just looked at them and said, well, why won't you go? I don't understand. You're a believer in Christ. Why wouldn't you go? And if you won't go, would you give me money? Because we need it, right? We need your money. God's still at work. Don't hunker down with your beans and bullets and wait for someone or something to happen, right? Well, it's getting dark out there. I know, so get busy. Time's short, right? That, that, that's the mindset of the Christian. And you're like, oh, that's a crazy church plant and pastor. That's the mindset of a Christian. It's not a radical mindset. It's a normative mindset for people who understand God and his call on his people right? So this seems like, in this moment, a perfect time. So let's continue. Verses 8 through 10. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when the division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Uh, just real quick, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for this priest. Uh, there were thousands of priests at that time, and so not everybody got to do this. They would actually like cast lots, right? Roll the dice. Hey, hey look, Zechariah's up, right? And, and, and this is a big deal. And it says, and the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Um, significant things happen when God's people pray. We saw that all throughout the book of Acts, 
right? And notice they're praying here. And, and, and by the way, incense, we don't really burn those in, in a church service here. If you go to Israel, they would still do that. But they, you do that, and, and it's a picture of this, this sweet aroma going up to God, right? It's a picture of your prayers going up to God in that moment. And, and we also learn in the book of Revelation that, that actually the bowl of incense is the, the saints' prayers, right? So, so just think about it. every time you pray things that align with God's word, you're, you're, it's like potpourri in heaven, right? Your prayers are going up, God's hearing them, and, and it's a sweet aroma because it shows you're trusting him shows that you're calling upon him. And so here it is, and, and he's going in, and he's doing his thing, and he thinks it's just another Saturday at church, right? Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Whoa, right? And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him, right? This is not just another average Saturday at the temple, there's an angel, right, of the Lord standing to deliver a message to this man, right? Like, this is a good day to win the lotto to go do the thing, right? What's his response? Oh, look at little chubby cherub. No, it's fear. It's fear. He sees an angel of the Lord. Fear falls upon him. Why? By the way, if you read your Bible, that is the most normative response when you come into the presence of an angel, or better yet, an angel comes into your presence and reveals himself to you, right? Why? Well, because most often it meant judgment. <laughs> most often when you would see an angel in the Bible, it meant not great things for you. <laughs> so, He's probably afraid. He's probably thinking, uh-oh, did I do something wrong? But, but not only that, just you, you can't imagine, but you ought to try to imagine this being right in front of you, like, oh, you're not, you're not like me. You're way different. Fear fell upon, okay? And so look what the angel said to him. He said, do not be afraid. Well, those are good words. Like, For listen, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And by the way, John, pretty common name in rural Pennsylvania. But John means that God is gracious and merciful. That's what it means, right? So it's what a beautiful name. God is gracious to you, right? He's merciful to you, Zechariah. And, and, and by the way, what was the prayer? It doesn't say prayers have been answered. I don't know. There's your theological answer. But I would say it's probably not the fact. And a lot of people think, what? He was praying for a baby. I, I, I bet not. Um, many assume that. But actually, I bet as a good priest, he was going in there and praying for the redemption of Israel. He was praying for God to intercede. He was praying for the nation of Israel in that moment. I don't know that. You could disagree with me. I'm fine with that because we don't know. But that is my best guess. Either way, what's clear is this, that the prayer that is answered is an answered prayer for a desperate couple and a nation. And I love it. I, I just love that God works individually and corporately all the time to bring about things for his glory, right? So things you're praying for, for yourself, it's not even primarily about you, right? Some people hear that like, oh, I want this to be about me. No, you don't. All your life, everybody's pushing things that are about you. What you need to be is God-centered, not your name centered. You need to be dethroned. I need to be dethroned. I need God. I'm not God. 
right? I'd mess up a week if you gave me a chance. I'd mess up 24 hours. I'd mess up an hour, right? If I was just all authority, give me a break. I need a God who's perfect. And, and so he works individually. So even when we're praying, he's bending that in a sense to his will, to his sovereign will. Why? Because he is absolutely about him, which is good for you. It's good for me, right? Because he knows best and we can trust him, right? So story continues. Verse 14, you will have joy and gladness. Oh man, this is, this is good, angel. I like this. Many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Side note, it is a quick side note. All humans in the womb of a mother are important. Period. From conception. Period. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. And, the, and we see they're human beings instantly at conception. Right, right here. You just see it. God's pro-life, by the way, in case you were wondering. He's pro-life. Therefore, God's people are pro-life. If that's not where you're at, I kindly say to you, have your mind changed to align with God's mind. And he is so clear in his scripture, right? If you need more conversation on that, I would love to grab a coffee with you. And I won't try to waterboard you into my thinking, but what I will do is lay forth the plain meaning of truth of scripture and ask you to conform to it, not ask it to conform to you and culture, okay? Side note over. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So it sounds like Malachi, right? Remember when we were reading that? To turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is his role. This is his job. Now, everyone thinks their kid is special, right? And let's be real. We just got done saying they're all image bearers. So they are. Every child is important, special, I, yeah, whatever. But how about this kid? I mean, seriously, look at his resume. Talk about pressure. He'll be great before the Lord. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit it's in his mommy's womb. Right? That's amazing. Set apart for specific calling. What will the calling be? He's going to turn many of the sons of, he's going to turn God's people back to God and God's people back to each other to love and to serve in these ways. Their hearts of the father towards their children and the disobedient who walk with their God, right, that are straying, will come back. His ultimate goal is to prepare a people for the Lord, right, for his coming. And by the way, that's our aim right now is to prepare a people for the Lord's return. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. When? I don't have a clue. But be ready, right? Be ready. If it were today, would you be excited that Jesus returned to see you do X, Y, and Z, right? Ask yourself that right? Now, his grace covers that, but sometimes we throw that out and we just, you know, it's just, I just do whatever I want. Wrong. Stick around. We'll correct that thinking, hopefully. But we need the Spirit to do that. We need the Spirit to do that. This is John the Baptist, right? You guys have heard of him? Um, He's not a Baptist, but Baptists love to count everyone, so they probably count him. Um, But better yet, he's John the Baptizer, right? That's his role. He's baptizing people. He's pointing people back to the Lord. He's the forerunner before Jesus, right? His whole role is to point to Christ. By the way, in case you're confused, that's our whole role. We're to point people to Jesus, right? He, he's kind of like a hype guy. You know what I mean by that? Um, who, if you like the UFC, there's a guy named Bruce Buffer, 
right? And, and he gets real excited, and he says, it's time, right? I'm not even doing it as loud and as, <laughs> as serious as I want to, but he, he's getting you ready for the moment, and then he points to the fighter, and he starts to talk about this fighter, and they get all charged up, and it's really good. If you've not seen it, you should do that. Essentially, that's what wild man John the baptizer is like, and he's a wild character. We'll get into him more as we go, but he really likes bugs and honey, right? And, and his main message is repent. It's repent. It's to turn. And he points, there's the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. I must decrease, he must increase. You think you're coming here to hear me? You better hear him because I'm talking about this guy, right? That's, that's his role. He's getting them prepared for action. And to do what they were created to do, which was to glorify God. He, he's telling people, repent, turn away from your sin Turn to the living God. Be a happy and holy people. That's his message. That's the message now, right? Because once again, the gospel is not simply or even primarily about information. It's not. It's, instead, it brings transformation. I was just talking to a fellow right before the service. and He's like, hey, that's me. Yep, it is. And we were talking about the fact that what America doesn't necessarily need is just more Bible studies. I would tell you the average, true, genuine, honest, church-going, Jesus-loving man and woman probably knows more than most, and this is sad, pastors in other countries. And they do nothing with it. <laughs> and they say, I need to know more before I do anything. It's not what you need to know. I'm not saying we're not anti-intellectual. We want to know, right? We open the Word of God to know, to know God, but to become what we behold, to become more like Christ in our everything, everything. The Word of God, if it's not affecting how you live on Wednesday, you're missing the point. You want to know if you're growing in knowledge and wisdom and walking by the Spirit of God, it's your love for God and your love for others. Who are the others? You fill in the blank. And you could say, well, I know and love God a lot, but others, not so much. And I would say that's not at all what the Bible teaches. They grow proportionately. So as you grow in love for God, your love for people grow. You can't say, I love God this much and love people this much. You really don't. And you don't know of his love for you. Because when you understand his love for you, it spills out into the lives of other people. Right? So we're aiming for transformation. I'm going to do everything I can. Pastor Kevin and anyone else who preaches here is going to do everything we can to put as much kindling around your heart to see you grow in the Lord. But guess what? We desperately need the Spirit of God to set it aflame because we can't do the miracle. So you should ask the Holy Spirit of God to do that as the Word is taught and as you engage it and learn, right? So it brings transformation. Let's continue. Verses 18 to 25, we're going to take this now and we're just going to work our way through it. Look at the priest's response to the angel. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? <laughs> That's really funny. I'm glad Alexis thought it was too. For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I mean, um, really? Zechariah, listen. He, he basically said, listen, I hear you, but what about the facts, buddy? Like, I'm a little old, right? And, and you have to think, like, have you not read the Bible, right? Have you not read your Bible, the Old Testament, right? The births of Isaac, Samson, 
Samuel, for starters. Oh, and then there's the fact that you've been praying for a child, I'm guessing, right? And oh, and how about the fact there's an angel right in front of you saying this in the temple. Here's your sign, bud, right? Like, could you just imagine? But we, but we laugh. I, oh, I set you guys all up. We do the same thing with the Word of God. <laughs> we just do the same thing. See, you should never read the Bible and say, I'm the hero of the Bible. There's one hero of the Bible. His name's Jesus. The rest of us need him. The rest of us need him. The angel said to him, listen, fool. He didn't say that, actually. He said, I am Gabriel. He said, I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. That's a rebuke, by the way, for his unbelief. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. That's grace. Rebuke and grace. You see it? Once again, Gabriel is not some chubby little cherub who, who chuckles at sinful unbelief. He said, no, there's a rebuke here. He says, you don't believe my words, you'll be silent. I bet he was deaf too. He's mute. He's struck dumb is a, is a, is a phrase that you would have heard during that time. He, unable to speak. This had to strike fear into this godly man, right? But you know what? I bet you in some strange way it gave him a little bit of hope because if this angel, this being has the power to do that, then I can believe. And now you've got nine months to ponder. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, I can't imagine being quiet for five minutes. My wife's like, amen. Pray for her. Um, hey, but this is kind of a double blessing for Elizabeth. She gets a baby and her husband's quiet for nine months. <laughs> oh, come on. Don't be that tight. Right? Like, hallelujah. Amen. My prayers have been answered. I got a baby and um, I'm sure she wanted to hear him. Right? But look what it says. It continues, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering about his delay in the temple. I mean, they had to be getting nervous, because this is a pretty quick transaction from everything I've understood and read. Um, he goes in, he lights the thing, he does the thing, he leaves. He's not come out for some time. And, you know, I doubt they were worried about his age, but they had to be thinking, man, he got, he's, he's not in the Holy of Holies, but he had to get close. Did something happen? Did he do something wrong? Did God strike him dead? Like, why is it taking so long? Oh, and by the way, we got a big game to go to. Hurry up, right? That's what a lot of people think in a church service. The Steelers are kickoff today. One o'clock. Hurry up. Make sure you're done. Eh, maybe. You can leave. Um, but they were waiting. But look, it says, and when he came out, he was unable to speak. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Do you wonder like what the signs were? Right, like. <laughs> right. right, like what, what a strange game of charades. They're like, turkey. I, I mean, I don't know. What would they have said? Like it's, it's round, it flaps its wings. Um, it would have been strange, right? Um, but the people were left in the dark, probably no doubt a little confused. This is a strange day for those folks. But look what it says. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his house, right? After these days with his wife, Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. Listen to what she says, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Oh, what a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness to Israel and to this, this, this couple, right? 
No doubt, as this little baby John was in the womb, uh, mummy was so excited. And their faith, not only was the baby growing in, in her womb, but their faith was growing in God, right? Could you just imagine this moment? They'd been dreaming of this their whole lives. And, and, and so they had to be filled with some awe and some wonder at all the things that had happened. And this is really just the beginning, right? As we're going to continue to go through Luke, you'll hear more and more. Um, but, but here's the question, and, and we really should always ask this question when we come to the Word of God. So, so what do we do with this? Because this is narrative. It's, it's, it's narrative. There are no commands for us to say we must obey this, but we should still always read the Word of God and, and seek, Lord, like, where do, I, where do I need to grow? What, what is it that I need to understand here? So here's a couple just little uh, application exhortations to think about, right? I'm not the Holy Spirit, right? But as I was reading the Word of God, this is where the Lord was working in my heart. So maybe work here for you. But I would say this, expect trials. Expect trials, right? Here's a godly couple, and they're in a trial. Um, they serve God faithfully, live fully by His grace, and yet that did not excuse them from a heavy trial. I mean, this is a heavy trial for this couple. I don't want you to miss this. This would have been such a bitter sorrow source of grief for them, okay? Um, so simply put, the grace of God exempts no one from trouble, right? I think sometimes we think we can manipulate God. If I just do X, Y, and Z, I'll get this. If I just, if I just do all these things, then he has to lavish these things upon me. Well, if you mean his love and his grace, he has done that in Christ, but it doesn't mean you get a bends. Doesn't mean you get the husband or the wife of your dreams. Doesn't mean you get children coming, you know, like, like it's like romper room. It doesn't mean any of that. It could mean that, but it doesn't exempt you from it. Whatever it is, your career, your dreams for, for you know, graduating college and doing X, Y, and Z or retirement or my 401k just busting it, doesn't mean any of that. You're not excused from a heavy trial. Um, when it happens, here's an encouragement to you, don't ask why. If you think it's a helpful question, it's really not. It, it's better to ask, how can I glorify God in this moment? It's better to ask that. It really is. Um, you might ponder for a moment, have I done something, right? I can just tell you right now, I'm a pretty open book, by the way. Jesse and I, after we had Sarah, we lost a child. Um, I found my wife the day after Christmas lying on a cold floor in our kitchen, bleeding internally. And we lost a baby. And we were in a moment of being like, why? And we had someone come along and say, well, let me ask you. We're in the hospital room, by the way. Is it because you're sinning? <laughs> no, but I'm about to. Um, not helpful. This is what they would endure. We don't understand people's trials. You shouldn't pretend that you do. But for you yourself, you should ask, am I doing something that is causing the Lord to potentially discipline me in this ma manner? I don't know. But I do know this. I do know this, James 1-2 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here's what I know. This count it all joy, it isn't like, woohoo, lost a baby, yeah. It's not that. What it is, though, is it's, it's saying, the Lord has allowed this 
and the Lord is good to us, and the Lord loves us, and we can trust that he's, his timing's perfect, and that he's good to his people who love him and are called according to his purpose. So he's going to bring beauty from this ashes. Let us worship with tears. This is what it means. This is what it means to be a, a man or a woman or a child who trusts the Lord. If you only trust him when it's sunshine, it's, it's not God you're trusting, it, it's circumstances. And if that's where you're at, it's okay that you're there, but it's not okay that you stay there. It's time to grow in the Lord. And, and maybe it starts with confessing that right away, okay? The, the second thing that I would say is you and I, we must guard against unbelief in our trials and in our life in general. We must guard against it, right? Um, Zechariah was a godly man who no doubt knew the Old Testament well. He should have remembered all the barren women throughout the Bible, throughout Israel's history that, that God had worked in. Women like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Elizabeth, there were more. He should have trusted God in that moment that he'd done that once, he could do that again. And with God, there's nothing that's impossible. But he had let unbelief in this situation happen. Okay? And in the midst of his trial, it, it appears like he just, uh, God can't do this. And even when an angel told him, yeah, no, I don't, how, how's that even going to be true? You've got to give me a sign. You've got to show me something. Do something here for me, buddy. Which I can tell you right now is easy to do when you're hurting. Unbelief, man, just creeps in when you're hurting, when you're suffering. It, but, man, it's such an insidious sin in the life of a believer. And I hear people all the time wrongly say things like, well, let's just be like the guy in Mark 9. Hey, I believe, help my unbelief. But I want you to know that Jesus in that moment looked at the man and, and kindly, lovingly rebuked him. If I can. If, I don't know how you hear him say that. But it's, if I can, of course I can do this. I'm God. Boom, does it. Boom, does it. We shouldn't, we shouldn't play nice with unbelief that creeps in our heart. It's not good for your soul. Um, but, but let me say this, everybody in here, including myself, all followers of Christ have both belief and unbelief. Every one of us, every single one of us, right? We both have faith and doubt, right? Um, and, and they're present in us at the same time, which is strange, right? Because even though the sin of unbelief is not our friend, it's, it's, it's definitely not to be coddled with. It's an enemy that's to be fought but you're always going to have it until the Lord calls you home or until he returns and you get a glorified body and a heart that is without sin. Yeah, we're a new creation, but we're growing. But, but you and I must grow and we must seek to grow and we must ask God to do that, which is why the psalm writer in Psalm 139, 23 through 24 said this. And so if you're like, do I have any unbelief in my heart? You do. Where is it? Good question. You should pray this. Not right now or right now, maybe. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way within me and lead me to the way that is everlasting. Have you ever prayed that? He loves to answer this prayer, by the way. He will help you fight your unbelief by exposing it. You, you can't fight it if you don't know it's present, right? And, and the Word of God and, and the Spirit of God will show you because He loves you. He loves you, and he wants you to be more like Christ. And, and, and those two things can't coexist in the moment if you're going to continue to walk and grow with him, right? 
But some people are like, well, I don't want to ask that because I'm afraid of discipline, right? So I'm just going to keep it hidden, right? I'm sure it's there for a good reason, right? But I would say don't fear discipline, fear unbelief, right? Discipline, man, listen, there is no more wrath for those who are in Christ, none. If you're in Christ, all the wrath of God was swallowed up in Christ for you. And there's no more, God does not look at you and wish you were, you're in Christ, you're righteous as Jesus by faith alone, by grace alone. All your past, present, and future sins have been paid for. God looks upon you as his son, as his daughter, with delight, with mercy, with grace, with joy, right? But when we sin against our Father in heaven, he desires that we change, right? Just like any good parent would desire, oh, I don't have that for you. I don't want that for you. I want better for you. Trust me. This is the way to everlasting life. This is the way to the goodness, right? So trust me, but it isn't like he's like, get out of my house, you're not my kid anymore. He doesn't do that. But he loves to show his children, here's where you're not trusting me, and I'm trustworthy. Remember what we've done on the cross to save you, right? So, so, so trust him. And, and then I guess what I would say is this. The last piece is to fight the good fight of faith. That's, that's the last thing I would say on, on, on what we do with this message, right? Um, this means believing won't be easy. I, I think so many times we, we just think that. That, that it's just, this is easy. I got saved. It's just easy. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a real fight, but I have. More than I want to talk about. All before I got saved, don't worry, you're safe, right? Actually, I'm safe because I'm old and tired and don't want to fight. But you can't be in a fight without, like, engaging, The Apostle Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. It won't be easy. It won't always feel natural or effortless to walk with God. I've heard people say that. Like, you're just like floating around like on clouds. Not true. Not true. You and I could never earn the love of Christ. Make no mistake about it. But all through Luke, what we're going to see is the more you follow him at times, the harder your life gets. The harder your life gets. And you're like, well, that can't be true. All throughout the Bible, that's the case. And yet we've, we've made up this weird teaching that we think, oh, the closer I get to Jesus, the easier life gets. Not the case. It's just not the case. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee covetousness, idolatry, unbelief, all of it. Now, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold, seize of the eternal life, right? To which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul gives four clear charges for the battlefield. Do you notice them? Flee, pursue, fight, seize. Right? We do nothing to earn our salvation, but when we're in Christ, we get the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he engages in battle. And the battle primarily he's engaging in is unbelief in your heart to not trust God. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. I say he because he's not some smoky little mystical like creature. We worship one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. He engages in battle. God has given you himself as your helper to engage in this battle. He's given you his word. His word, his spirit are sufficient for your life and for the mission he's called you on. Will you trust him? That's the question. So 
That's sermon one. So listen, as, as we continue to go through Luke, listen, and, and the whole Bible for that matter, God works out all circumstances for who love him and are called according to his purpose. We learned that in, in Romans 8, 28, right? So if we can trust him with our salvation, and, and you have to trust him with your salvation if you're a saved man or woman, because you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, okay? So it's Faith is, another good word for faith is trust. It's trust. I'm, I'm laying hold of what is true, right? So if we can trust him with our salvation, then surely, by God's grace, we can trust him with every circumstance and situation in our life. That is the point, right? And, and, and by the way, if not, can I just tell you something? He's so patient. He's so patient. He's so kind. You might be sitting here thinking, oh man, I don't think I trust him most days. Take a deep breath. Know this. You're in Christ. He's got you. He's got you. And he'll continue to work there. Why? Because he doesn't love you because you're lovable. He really doesn't. He sent Jesus to die for you because you are unlovable, to make you lovable, to bring you into his everlasting joy, into his everlasting presence. Why? Because he's good. And you can trust him. So I, one thing I want to encourage us all to be praying for is that the Lord would grow us in faith to trust his word more as we go through the, the gospel of Luke. Okay? Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray, and, uh, and then Pastor Kevin's going to come on up. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the, this picture of a godly couple enduring um, a trial. Um, we're not the heroes of the Bible. You're the hero. The, you're the only hero. And so, Father, help us to look to you. Increase our trust in you as we gaze upon your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just continue to conform us into the image and likeness of Christ. That if there's unbelief and wherever our unbelief is within our heart, you would kindly expose it. And that you would give us the grace to turn and to have life with you. Everlasting life that can only be found through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We ask this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.